My family knew they were sort of labour because they were working class, really. Jewish, but working class. There's a slight difference in, or there was, in being Jewish working class and not Jewish working class. Because not Jewish working class somehow seemed to mean that you were okay with your lot and um, all your friends were working class and that's what you felt comfortable with. Whereas Jewish working class is trying to get out of it and sort of trying to become middle class. He didn't really know what that meant. But, um, you know, trying to uh, open out, as it were. So we were kind of Labour. We voted Labour. And that's how I started smoking, in fact. Every, I don't know how often, this guy from the Labour Party would come around and for a donation of like sixpence or something, you know, in the old money. And one time he was selling raffle tickets, so my mum bought a raffle ticket for every member of the family, and mine won. That was a hundred players, or a hundred senior service, can't remember which. You know, the old ones, strong cigarettes without tips. In 1960. And she said, oh, will you give them to your dad? And I said, nah. No, I want to smoke them, you see. And of course, I, I couldn't smoke anyway, but I thought it was cool to smoke. And it was like everybody in Hollywood, the, the photos were smoking. It was pretty stylish at the time. So um, I persevered. The first few kind of made my eyes water. <laughs> Got used to that, and then uh, I thought, oh, I'll try inhaling, you know, and then I felt, you know, I was sick, really sick inhaling. And I sort of went through a hundred fags. I don't know how long it took, I can't remember anymore. And by then I was kind of fully-fledged smoker, you see, so I used to buy cigarettes. Anyway, by the age of about 30, 35, I was already smoking like 30 a day, 40 a day, I had a heart attack when I was 52 and was kind of 
forced not to smoke because I was uh, in a hospital bed with wires and you could just couldn't get out and get to your fags, you see. So I had to give up for the time I was in there. That was five days. And then I, I found I didn't need to smoke, really. But what I didn't know was that you had to keep it, you had to keep it a quiet life. You know, like a steady kind of existence, routine existence. If you were put under stress, you then definitely wanted to smoke. <laughs> but I kind of went through that period as well and went back to not smoking, more or less until my daughter got um, anorexia. I used that as an excuse. I was very upset about it and worried. And um, all these addictions are waiting in the wings for you to come across a crisis or something and then they come back. My family always had the radio on, you see, because they like music. In fact, they could both sing, Mum and Dad. My mum was a soprano, my dad a tenor. They weren't bad. You know, they weren't like professionals or anything, but uh, my dad had sung in the choir at the synagogue, you know, and I had a tenor voice that was, was quite nice, yeah. But anyway, they loved the radio and they used to have the light programme on that was called at the time and the equivalent of um, Radio 2. At the time, it played kind of light classical and also pop music of that era, so pre-rock and roll kind of, or middle 40s, late 40s, so on. And I used to kind of, I couldn't help, you know, hearing it and listening to it, and I used to enjoy the some of the tunes, yeah, and I, I still remember a lot of them, like The Dream of Olwyn and, uh, I don't know, what's it on? I used to listen to all, all the tunes, you know, on there, and songs. And I liked the kind of those um, old romantic uh, American songbook Hollywood kind of I've heard called decadent romanticism. I like those, that stuff. And we were steeped in it somehow or other. Singing in the kitchen, singing. <laughs> as soon as there's music, it will catch me. It will alter my mood. It will make me daydream. It will, you know, really do something for me emotionally. I just love it, yeah. I am a romantic. Definitely. Um, I suppose the word romantic is quite a big word, isn't it? It could mean anything from like wanting to go around the world and go up and climb Everest or something to just wanting to love someone or, you know, and I'm sort of in the latter category, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I just want to sort of, and I still do, I still am romantic. I still want to kind of, uh, a partner that I can adore and take care of and protect and look at 
<laughs> and so on, you know, still want that. Yeah. When I was 65, I got married <laughs> to a Thai girl. Rung Chip, her name was. Yeah. And she was, well, she wasn't a girl. She was a woman. She'd had two children and she was 45, 46. And I met her on this website called Thai Love Links. I suppose what happened was when I was about 65, knowing that most of my family died young, you know, my dad died when I was 55, uncles died at 60 or less. And I was already kind of 64, 65, I it's time to kind of, it would be a good idea if you could reconcile yourself to dying, you know. Because dying's part of living, I mean, you know. And we're all kind of keep a wire just looming over us. And the older we get, the more it looms. And um, you want to kind of put it behind, you want to sort of get out. <laughs> Don't want to know about dying kind of thing. And, but you're fighting a losing battle because in the end it's sort of like very near. So um, I thought, oh, it'd be a good idea if you can reconcile yourself to that. So I kind of, um, I think I've got the Buddhist Book of Death or something. It's pretty good, really, you know. It sort of like says, oh, dying is just one stage in the life cycle kind of thing, your life. And... Um, you live, you die, and then you come back, and then you learn more, you reach several stages. And so dying is all right, no problem, like. It's a good idea if you go and be with people that are dying, like in uh, hospices and things, you know, talk to them and be with them. And I thought, yeah, that's a nice idea. I don't know if I can do it, but it sounds good. And then there was a kind of backlash, a kind of emotional backlash. And I thought, like, no, no, no. <laughs> I don't want to die. I've had enough of this. I want a woman, that's what I want. So uh, I went on this uh, Guardian Soulmates, yeah. And it was in, like, uh, the weekend section or something, and there was, like, Adverts in the bat, and I answered a few, met a few people, you know, met a few women, all of sort of near to my age. And I was kind of taken by the fact that they were all very kind of self-contained, busy, and sort of very liberated and had full diaries, you know, like Monday is um, pilated, and like Tuesday I, I see a friend in uh, wherever, and, and I, I'm going off to Hong Kong anyway for two weeks or something, and so like, I thought, how on earth do they fit in a kind of... Um, or do they ever... Or have they thought about fitting in a relationship, especially a close relationship? Anyway, I met a few, and they all seemed to be that in that kind of category. Or maybe it was just people that read Guard, The Guardian or like that. So I was telling my friend, my muse, my singing teacher, and he was... <laughs> and he was sort of laughing and saying, oh, well... Um, yeah, he knows someone that 
that married a Thai girl, quite a bit younger than him, and they're very happily married, you know. And I said, ah, oh, amazing. And I never thought of that. So he said, uh, he said, yeah, try them. There's a Thai club, he said, in Soho. So I went round there, and there was, if there's ever been one there, there wasn't now, you know. So. Uh, and, I, and then I looked up Thai social clubs and things like that on the internet, and there didn't seem to be any that kind of had social do's, you know, where you could meet Thai people. And then when you look on something on the internet, as you know, you get, like, um, pop-ups or whatever. And... Um, and this Thai lovelings came on, and um, anyway, I got inundated with all these like women, young girls, all the way from 20 all the way up to 50, all wanted to have relationships. And, uh, and I thought, well, I suppose that's not surprising. People in Thailand think like the West is so wonderful and they want to come and live here. But nevertheless, you do get I was still like flattered by these, all these younger women wanting to get to know me, kind of thing, which was like totally unheard of in my kind of personal <laughs> history. But I didn't want to, I didn't want to end up with someone much younger. And I thought that was that was not fair on them, you know. You know, someone that. Presumably wants to get married and have a family, and I'm like 65. What, what is this girl gonna do with me? You know. So I didn't, I didn't fancy ruining someone's like productive years, as it were. So I, I went for someone older. In the end, I had a short list <laughs> of 10, and I went to Thailand and tried to see them all. You know, went for three weeks, saw six of them, like two. And one of the two was so much like my mum, in, or reminded me so much of her, although she didn't look like her, but somehow, temperamentally, she was so much like her that I couldn't... I felt guilty about not pursuing it. Like, really guilty. And I came back and was like, had a new dilemma here, you know, like... Uh, what am I going to do about this, you know? And um, I went back and got her a tourist visa and she came over and stayed with me for six months and then had to go back after the tourist visa expired and um, we got married. Anyway, friends of mine who were sceptical about this whole thing when they saw her, changed their minds and said, no, 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 oh, she's so sweet, you know, lovely. She's not like that at all. She's kind of like so sincere and loving and so kind of happy about the whole thing. And she was, she was like, I'm not a bad judge of human nature and she was very sincere. It was all kind of wonderful, you know. Well then, it's sort of, in the end, she, I could tell she wasn't really happy. Would sooner have been back with her family in Thailand. 
And I did tell her that she should think about this before we married. She's going to leave the family in Thailand. Although we looked after them, I sent them money to make up for the, the fact that she wasn't there supporting them and she'd been the main breadwinner, I think. It was in rural Thailand, kind of quite poor they were. And I sent some money to build a a new house because the old one, which was corrugated iron wood and everything, got flooded by the like have heavy rainfall, like monsoon kind of stuff. And they built a brick one near to it. Anyway, she had to do an ESOL, English for speakers of other languages. And it was very difficult for her because she couldn't, she could hardly speak English, even though her job meant that she picked up a kind of smattering of kind of English, but she only had the minimum of required. She was a really good masseuse, very good masseuse, yeah, and taught other people as well. But when I first knew it, all she could say was like, okay, okay. And she loved a family photo of me when I was younger and mum and dad, and she, she talks to mum Dora about how we're going to be so happy and, and everything, and when we die, we're going to meet again and so on. And I thought, well, that's sweet, but, you know, obviously I don't believe in anything like that. Anyway, she finally got this ESOL qualification. I don't know how. And we applied, and finally she got the indefinite leave to remain. And then about 10 days later, she left without warning. And um, I haven't seen her since. I suppose even more surprising than that, and that's quite surprising, was that I didn't feel as I would have done in my and when I was younger I didn't feel this like terrible hurt and kind of shame and um, anger I didn't feel anything like that I was curious to why she left and I I can't I don't know if it's because she was like my mum but I can't be angry with her I sort of still care about her I think I'm still quite fond of her. Hope she's all right. You know. I loved her. Yeah, I loved my wife. Yeah, I did love her. Well, I still love her, yeah. Well. They asked me how I knew my true love was true. I, of course, replied, something here inside cannot be denied. 
said someday you'll find all who love are blind when your heart's on fire you must realize smoke gets in your eyes so I trust them and I gaily laughed to think they could doubt my love. But today my love has flown away. I am without my love. Now laughing friends deride Tears I cannot hide So I smile and say When a lovely flame dies Smoke gets in your eyes